Take your seats. We'll be in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 1 through 13 here in Luke chapter 11 and talk about prayer. So, since we're going to be talking about prayer, let's do the smart thing and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we pray that you would teach and we would listen. Lord, you put these words down for us to grow by them, and we pray that we would learn what you want us to learn from this to truly become people individually and corporately of prayer. In your name, amen. Now, prayer is one of those things that we talk about all the time. Anytime I talk to someone and a spiritual discussion comes up, and maybe they mentioned that they're not doing well spiritually or asked, and how are you doing spiritually? A lot of times I hear a comment like this. Well, I'm still praying. And we have this tendency to look at prayer, I think, a little bit differently than what the Lord does. And part of this is our fault. As a pastor, I've said up here many times from the pulpit, prayer is simply talking to God, which is true. Prayer is simply talking to God. The problem is, I know a lot of people that are not good at talking. They don't listen when other people talk. They don't pay attention to the words they're saying. And when they talk, they're only talking about themselves. Well, if that's what your prayer life's like, you're really not going to get much out of it because prayer is as much talking to God as it also is listening to what God has to say. And I think that's an element we forget. And a lot of times when we think of prayer, we think of that 30 seconds before we fall asleep at night where, Lord, thank you for my family. I pray you bless my kids. I pray you take care of things and be with me at work tomorrow. And thank you for all you do. Amen. And we consider that a prayer life. That's our prayer life. I pray before every meal. I pray before I go to bed at night. I pray. When you really look at what the Bible says prayer is. Prayer is a, it's a discipline. It's work. It's a lot of work. And Jesus set the example for us. But it's also a work that comes out with such a blessing. With that being said here, look at Luke 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. See, to me, when I read that phrase, or Lord, teach us to pray, there is a method to this. And when I say method, meaning there needs to be an understanding of what prayer is. And I believe sometimes as Christians, once again, maybe we oversimplify what prayer is. There obviously is a teaching that comes with this where the Lord says, this is how we should pray. Now, first things first. Why did they go to Jesus? Well, you see in verse 1, he was praying. Jesus is praying all the time in the Bible. One of my favorite verses about prayer in the Bible is in Mark 1 where it says that Jesus would get up in the morning, be alone in the wilderness and pray, so much so that his disciples had to go out into the wilderness and search for him and look for him to find him, because he was always out there praying. We know from just our study here in Luke, and Luke 5, and Luke 6, and Luke 9, there's reference after reference to Jesus praying, and the disciples coming to come get him. It sounds like Jesus was praying all the time. He set an example, and as he set an example, the disciples saw that, and wanted the same thing that he had. Very simply put, parents, if you had kids at home and you want them to be adults that pray when they grow up, you be a parent that prays in front of them. You want kids to go to church? You go to church, set the example. You want kids to serve? You set the example. Maybe you don't have kids. You want influence where you work? Set the example. You want your work to be different? Better work attitude? Better work ethic? Set the example. If you have friends that you want them to be stronger in their walk with Christ, be it in the Word, and service, and church, or prayer, you do that. And as you set the example, people will see that, and people will follow that. I remember when I first started having kids, 
I wanted that alone time with God. And so I used to go get away from them so that way I could pray and have that time with God. And I could hear them walking through the house looking for me. To the point I remember one time, it was so tough to find a way to get alone, I actually literally went into my closet and shut the door. And I remember them coming into my room looking for me, and I just was quiet. I was hiding. Now, I've changed on that. Now when I do devotions, I like to do devotions out on the kitchen table. I like to do it on the couch. I like them to get up and say, what are you doing? I'm praying. I'm reading. Try to set that example. And if you've got little ones at home and you hear them pray, what a blessing that is. But I tell you, it's very scary, though, for me. Because when I hear my boys pray, they pray like I pray. And I think I pray good. And then I hear them pray, and I think that's what I really sound like. And it kind of just concerns me a little bit. Because they use the same phrases. They use the same mannerisms. Elias will start out his prayers. Oh, Lord. And I think, where did he get that from? Well, he got that from me. Because every now and then, people are like, we'll pray about it. Yeah, let's pray about it. Oh, Lord. And I do the same thing. But they're seeing an example, hopefully following the example. And I say that to encourage you, set the example of prayer, church, word, service, love, kindness, forgiveness, all the above. As we set the example, not only our kids, but friends and family, whatever our sphere of influence is, will be changed by that and hopefully be noticed. And that's what you see here in verse 1. Jesus setting the example and them following. So, teach us how to pray. So, as he gets ready to teach them how to pray, we do the very famous, in verses 2 through 4, Lord's Prayer. Now, this is also given in Matthew, and it reads differently. In fact, when I was reading this at the 830 service, I had a hard time reading this because I'm so used to doing the Lord's Prayer in King James. I don't know why, but it was hard for me to do it in New King James. Plus, depending on what denomination you were raised, you never know if you're doing the shortened version or the longer version of the Lord's Prayer. A lot of times when I do some funerals, sometimes the family will make a comment or ask maybe to end with the Lord's Prayer or something so everybody can pray. So what I just do is I just start it and get out of the way. Because I don't know if we have Catholics there or Lutherans or Methodists, I don't know. I don't know what version we're doing of it, either the Matthew version or the Luke version, so we just go with it. Now the thing about the Lord's Prayer, it's really a bit of a misname. Because this can't be the Lord's Prayer. The one phraser in verse 4 of, Lord, forgive us our sins. Jesus can't pray that. This was an example. This is a model. I have nothing against this prayer. I think this prayer is wonderful. My personal opinion, take it or leave it, I don't believe the intention of Christ for it was for this prayer to be repeated again and again and again and again for thousands of years as the only prayer. I believe this is more given as an example, a model, an outline of what prayer is supposed to be. And then we can go in and add some muscle to it on our unique situations. With that being said, let's look at this verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, your translation is going to word a little differently. Some of you have, may have some phrases that are there and not there, depending on translations. But that's the main message of it. What is this prayer trying to tell us? What is Jesus trying to teach us about prayer? Look at the first phrase there in verse 2. Our Father. This is personal. You're talking to your Father. Too often we look at prayer as I've done everything I can 
There's nothing left for me to do, so I might as well take this to God. And we treat it like a business relationship, like you're going up the chain of command. I've done everything I can, so I might as well, okay, Lord, I don't know what else to do. It's yours. No, this is your father. This is personal. You want to go to him first. This is somebody that you can go to any time of the day. Hebrews says you can boldly go to the throne of grace. And as a child, I just want to spend time with my father. Well, I tell you, you see that all the time. I see it with my kids. They'll come up and they'll be, Dad, can you do this with us? They want to read. Dad, will you come sit with me while I read a book? Do you realize how boring that is to sit with somebody while they read a book? Especially when they're reading inside their head. You're just sitting there. But you know what? They just want their dad to spend time with them. So when we say our father, that's personal. That's a relationship. You know him. Our father, and where is he at? He's in heaven. So that gives you the right mindset. See, the purpose of prayer is to get your eyes and mind off all the problems you're facing on this planet. So when I start talking about my father in heaven, I start thinking about heaven. And my mind goes to the heavenly things, not the trials and tribulations I'm facing on this earth. I think about the heavenly realm, and wow, Lord, heaven. Gets my mind off this junk. Hallowed be your name. We don't use that word hallowed much. It means very praiseworthy. It means holy, consecrated, set apart. When we're talking to God, we're thinking about the precious, powerful name of who we're speaking to. I remember when I first got saved, I had a dear friend come up to me one time and said, remember when you're praying, you're not only talking to your Savior, your brother, your father, but you're also talking to the creator of the universe. There's an amount of respect that comes with that. Hallowed be your name. There should be an element of praise and worship in your prayer. Your kingdom come. Jesus is returning. So when I pray, and I'm all worked up about that situation that's going to happen tomorrow, there should always be in the back of my mind, wait a second, Christ may return before this even happens. Why am I worried? Those health results, Lord, those tests, they're not going to be back for a week. I don't know what those test results are going to be. Wait a second, Lord, you may return the next week. Your kingdom come. Lord, I'm, I'm concerned about my kid. They're going down this path, and I don't, wait a second, Lord, you may return and set all things right. Your kingdom come. See, when you're praying that, your kingdom come, you're thinking back to heaven and you realize this world is painful. This world hurts. But there is a deeper, bigger purpose in heaven and the kingdom that's coming. Amen. Next one. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is not questioned up in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you imagine if the Bible account was different at the beginning of the Gospels when Jesus, excuse me, when God sent... uh, Gabriel down to announce to Mary that she was going to have Jesus. Can you imagine if the Bible said something like Gabriel saying to the fact of, Lord, are you sure? Lord, are you sure? What about the times that he sent Michael as a messenger, and Michael would say, Lord, are you sure? God is not questioned in heaven. We, down here on earth, in our wisdom and intellect, question everything that God does. So when it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning... No question. Lord, I trust you. You know the big picture. I don't. I'm just dirt. You're my Savior. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much of our spiritual life is spent, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, whining and complaining over things that are happening on this earth that we're not happy with? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. Your daily needs will be met. By the Lord. 
your daily. No, daily. I think that to me shows it should be a daily time of prayer with the Lord. Your daily needs would be met. Sometimes we spend all of our time thinking and focusing on that thing that's happening in a week or two weeks or three weeks. Don't worry about that yet. Daily, Lord, give this to us. Take care of it. Does that mean you don't pray about the future? No, I got appointments this week. So I'm going to pray about the stuff I'm doing on Monday and I'll pray about the stuff I'm doing on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'll start praying about it at the beginning of the week. But my main focus is, Lord, today. I don't know who I get to witness to today. I don't know who's going to call me today. Lord, my daily needs, take care of them. Before I get up in the morning, I always pray before I get out of bed. Lord, whatever text or phone calls or messages that are going to come through today, give wisdom, give guidance. Lord, whatever situations I'm going to face today, give wisdom, give guidance. Because I don't know what the day is going to bring me, so take care of my daily needs. Lord, meet my needs. It's like the manna in the Old Testament. They got enough bread to get through one day. Each day was a day of faith. And I think spiritually we're supposed to do that same thing. Lord, get me through today. Enough strength to meet the trials and tribulations of the day. And this is why it's so important to be in prayer. Because when you get up in the morning, you don't know what your day is going to bring. You may run into somebody who wants to know about Christ. You may have... Two seconds, literally, to say, Lord, give me the words. Yes, that prayer is powerful. Yes, the Holy Spirit is good. But wouldn't it be much better to get up in the morning saying, Lord, whoever I run into today, give me the words and the wisdom and the Spirit to be able to meet their needs and speak to them. I want to be prayed up for this. You may run into a situation at work that you never saw coming, and now you feel tested. You have a trial. It's a difficult time. Yes, you can pray at that moment saying, Lord, give me strength. But wouldn't also been great hours before to say, Lord, I don't know what today's going to bring, so give me strength for every trial and tribulation that comes my way. Being prayed up and prepared because you don't know what's going to happen. Too often our prayers are reactionary. Lord, this happened. Help us. Let's make our prayers more proactive. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, so give me wisdom and strength. Lord, give me the needs for the day. What else do we say here at verse 4? Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This idea of sins. There should be a time in your prayer of, Lord, I'm a broken man. Lord, I'm failing as a husband. I'm failing as a father. I'm failing as a man of God here. Lord, forgive me my sins. There should also be a time of forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lord, I'm holding bitterness towards that person. Lord, I'm holding anger towards that person. Lord, I'm holding resentment towards that person. Lord, Help me to forgive them and move on. I tell you, it's an amazing thing, the power that bitterness and anger can have in your life towards other people. I tell you, the Bible makes it clear, and I try to do this. If I ever find myself getting frustrated with somebody, I simply say, Lord, bless them. Luke comes right out and says, bless your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Lord, bless them. Give them a good day today. Lord, be with them in all ways. And it's amazing, as you start praying for your enemies... Your heart softens towards them. It truly does. If you have people in your life that is very difficult for you to deal with, add them to your daily prayer list. Lord, bless them. Give them a good day. Lord, let them see you. It's amazing how your heart starts to soften to them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that verse sounds a little strange. It makes it sound like God would lead us into temptation. We know He doesn't. What that verse is saying is, Lord, I don't know what the day holds. Keep me from those things that are going to make me stumble. Lord, keep me from those scenarios and situations that are going to bring me down. Lord, keep me from those areas of problem that I don't even see coming. 
When I get ready to cross the street with my boys, I take my hand and I grab them. I just grab them, keep a hold of them. I don't know what's going to be going on in that street. I just want to keep a hand on them and make sure they're safe. Lord, keep your hand on me as I cross the streets of life today. Just lead me not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one and just watch out for us. Because the Lord knows the day you don't. Put all this stuff together. Your time of prayer should be personal. This is not some business relationship between you and God. This is a personal time with your Savior, your Father. There should be a time there of heaven, a mindset of, Lord, get my mind off the junk of this world. I tell you right now, if you just focus on what's wrong in your life and in this world, you will walk away depressed and discouraged. Lord, help me to have a heavenly mindset. Your kingdom come. Help there be a time of praise in your prayers. Not just praise and worship we do on Sunday, but just a time of praise. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I want to do your will, meet my daily needs, meet my spiritual needs, help me to meet other people's spiritual needs, and keep me from sin. These are elements that are supposed to be in your prayer life. And I don't mean to pick on anybody when I say this, but when you look at what Jesus is teaching here, to be honest, prayer is going to be more than 30 seconds before you fall asleep at night. Now, 30 seconds is better than nothing. It really is. But, Lord, help us to have a time, a time, where we set aside the day and say, Lord, I'm going to give these things to you. I'm going to spend this time with you. You will walk away blessed by that. Prayer changes things more than you can ever imagine or ever realize. Now, here's the problem. We could just end the teaching right there. But the subject comes up then. If prayer is so powerful and amazing and wonderful, how come my prayers aren't answered? I've been praying for this situation for weeks, months, years. I don't see any change. Why is God not answering my prayers? Look at verse 5, Luke 11. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Flip to Luke 18, please. Luke 18. See, when you read that parable, that story, it sounds like I can wear God down. You know, he said no, and if I just keep nipping at his heels, eventually he's going to say, fine, fine, take the job. Just take it. Look here at Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 1. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will venture, lest by her continual coming she weary me. See, doesn't it sound that way? You can wear God down. You can get whatever you want as long as you just keep praying. That's not what it's saying. See, in the Bible, there's something called a parable of contrast. Where what happens is God shows you what man is like to show you what he's really like. See, if you look at Luke 18 and you say, well, this is a picture of God. No, I think Jesus is trying to make this clear. This is not a picture of God. Look at verse 4. I do not fear God nor regard man. Now tell me how you're going to make a parable of that guy representing God when he comes around and says, I do not fear God nor regard man. The purpose of Luke 18 is if a human being 
who is sinful and evil and comes right out and says, I do not fear God. If he will do something good for a widow, how much more will God the Father who loves you take care of you? See, jump back to Luke, Luke 11. This friend, you got to know a little bit here about old uh, New Testament housing. Generally, everybody slept on the same floor right around the fire. So you'd have mom and dad sleeping and whatever little kids are sleeping right there. So this guy's coming at midnight, knocking on the door. I need bread. This guy is saying, listen, for me to get you bread, i got to crawl over the wife. i got to crawl over the kids. You know the rules. You don't wake up the baby. Just go. Well, this guy finally wears him down because of his persistence and says, fine, I'll give you bread. Once again, if the friend who is annoyed at midnight is willing to get up and meet your needs, how much more is God willing to meet your needs? See, now look at verse 9. So, that word so, ties us all together. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, even a sinful father, Dad, can I have some bread? Here's a stone. Dad, can I have some fish? Here's a serpent. Can I have an egg? No, here's a scorpion. If a sinful father will try to meet the needs of his children, will not your heavenly father even do more so? So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Problem is, I do ask, I do seek, I do knock, and I'm still not hearing anything. See, we do need to be persistent. We need to be persistent even when the answers aren't coming the way we think or want. Do you ever think of how many times we've missed out on something because we gave up in prayer? How close were we to a spiritual victory, but we gave up in prayer? I've used this example before, but I went and studied it out a little bit more. You know, many of us probably know from our history lesson, it was in the 1950s that Edmund first scaled uh, Mount Everest, tallest mountain in the world. I think it's like right around 29,000 feet. But about 30 years before he actually got to the top of Mount Everest, is back in the early 20s, there was a group... They got within 900 feet on the top of Mount Everest. 900 feet, and they stopped. They stopped because they were exhausted, they were confused, and they were ready to be done. They were 900 feet from the top of Mount Everest, immortality, if you will, in the amount of history, and they stopped. A few years later, another group went up and got within 800 feet of the top. But they were confused, they were exhausted, and they turned around and went back. How often have we in prayer almost got to the top? We were in feet of the answered prayer, and we gave up. Obviously, it's not doing anything. I've prayed for my kid for weeks, months, years, decades. I give up. I give up. Why? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Well, obviously, nothing's happening. How do you know nothing's happening? Lord, I've prayed for the right mate for a long time. I'm so sick and tired of this. I never get the girl I want. I never get the guy I want. I'm just done. Why? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Lord, I prayed for this job, and no job ever happens. I'm stuck at this job. I have no job. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Well, I'm tired of asking, seeking, and knocking because nothing's happening. No, nothing's happening from your perspective. There may be more going on behind the scenes than you will ever, ever realize. You may be 900 feet from the top of the mountain. Don't give up. 
Be persistent. Stay strong. If you read these passages, if you believe these passages, God will meet your daily needs and he will give you what you need. He will not give you the scorpion. He will not give you the serpent. He will not give you the stone. He'll give you the fish, the bread, and the egg. He will give you what you need. If the prayers aren't being answered the way you want, you've got to trust Him. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of times, they're not answered because of us. When we pray, don't we have a tendency to pray our motives? Lord, I've analyzed this situation. I've thought about this. I believe this is the best answer for me. I pray for that job because that job is best for me. Lord, I pray for that woman because I've met that woman. I like that woman. I think she'll be perfect for me. Now, how do you know who's perfect for you? God says that. God makes it very clear in Genesis that he brought Adam and Eve together. God's got the right guy or gal out there for you. How do you know what job's best for you? Well, because of your intellect, your wisdom. No. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 makes it clear. Lean not on your own understanding. How many times have we figured out the solution and then our prayers become God rubber stamp this? Just agree with me, Lord, because I know what's right. No. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, let's talk about why prayers aren't answered. First one's pretty straightforward. James 4, 2, if you're taking notes, it's James 4, 2. It says, you do not have because you did not ask. Now, how simple is that? Sometimes the Lord isn't answering because we've never asked Him. Do you ever think of maybe if we just ask the Lord... He'll answer. Why don't we ask? Pride. I know what's best. Why do I need to pray about this? Lack of faith. Well, why would I pray? Nothing happens anyway. Well, then you're right. Nothing will ever happen. If you have that element of pride, if you have that element of lack of faith, nothing will ever happen. So let's skip that one. Let's say you are asking, and the answer just keeps coming back, no. James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3 says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. God sometimes says no because our motives are wrong. And he says, I need to say no because if I say yes, it's going to cause more harm than good. Here's the problem with that. I think I know my heart. I think I know my motives. It says in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? I alone, God, understand the heart. See, I think I know why I do things. I think my motives are pure. I think I want to do it because of the right reasons. God says, James, sometimes you don't even understand why you're doing, and I need to say no to you. Because in your heart... You think this is going to be good and great and wonderful, but I see the big picture, and this is going to cause a problem for you, and I need to say no. Now, we don't like that. We don't like it. We become the spiritual two-year-old that wants ice cream for breakfast. Because I know that it's okay for me. Lord, I know this is good. He's perfect. She's perfect. The job's perfect. Everything's perfect. No, it's not. goes back to what we said at the beginning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord... Tell me no if it's for my good. Tell me no. That's hard to accept. So sometimes when the answer comes back no, it's because God says, I see the big picture, and I realize this will hurt you in the long run, and I'm going to say no to it. I've got to trust that. What about the next one? Is there sin in your life? Is there a sin in your life that keeps the prayers from being heard? Now, let's think about that for a second. We're all sinners. So, yeah, there's always sin in my life. But there's certain examples in the Bible. 
that kind of talk about this. Real quick story. I had a situation not too long ago with Layden, who's our three-year-old. And a lot of our situations deal with Layden. And Layden was doing something he shouldn't have done. So I went into the bedroom, because if I remember correctly, Layden smacked one of his brothers upside the head or something like that. So I went in, took Layden, and we were going into my bedroom to have a discussion, as I like to call it, on what was going on. So as we're going into my bedroom to have a discussion, Layden stops and looks at me and goes, can I have a piece of candy? Well, no. He just cold-cocked your brother. No, you're not getting a piece of candy. Now, normally I like to give him candy. I like to be the parent that, that gives them candy. They like me more than Dawn because I'll give them candy whenever they ask. But at that moment, at that time, there is no candy. There is a sin. There is a situation that needs to be dealt with here. And before we talk about candy or ice cream or what you can play, we need to sit down and talk about why you cold cocked your brother and what we're going to do about this situation. There is a sin that has to be dealt with. He's still my son. I love him unconditionally. I'm still his father. He loves me. But the relationship is just a tad rocky right now because there is a sin that has to be dealt with. Sometimes in your spiritual life, there is sin that needs to be dealt with. And so when you go to the Lord in prayer, you're you're getting almost no answer. Why? Because God is not ignoring you. He is saying, that situation is important. And we'll get to that situation. But before we get to it, we've got to talk about this sin thing here first, James. No, I don't want to talk about the sin. I want you to bless my day. I want you to give me a good week. Okay, we'll talk about that. Let's talk about sin first. Now, it doesn't mean that any time you sin, God can't hear you. No, this is talking about sin where you willfully know there's things in your life that aren't right. You willfully know that you're choosing to go down a path that's not in line with God's will, and you want to live that way. There's a couple examples of this in the Bible. The one is in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It's talking to husbands. And as it's talking to husbands, it gives us all these rules and commands on how to love our wives. And then at the end it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, as a man, if I mistreat my wife, God says that's a huge deal. And that my prayer life with the Lord will be hindered because of how I'm treating Dawn. See, I'm supposed to be an example of Jesus. I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. So if as a husband, as a man of God, I'm not treating my wife properly and respectfully, my prayer life will be hindered because of that. Women, quit elbowing your husbands. But that's the truth. That's not given to wives. That's given to us men. It says in Isaiah 59, God comes out and says, Listen, it's not that my arm is shortened that I can't help you. It's not that my ears are dull that I can't hear. He comes out and says, But your sin has separated me from you, so I will not answer. It's not that he doesn't love them, but he says what happens is we have chosen to choose sin. And God says until we get the sin situation dealt with, the prayer life is put on hold. I mean, for those that are married, relationships, if I snap at dawn and five minutes I come over later to put my arm around her, I'm not getting anywhere near her. I have to deal with that situation first. And that's the same thing that happens spiritually. I think there's a lot of times that people have no real relationship with the Lord. Then out of the blue, they come to the pastor. And the pastor says, you got a lot of tough things in life. You should pray about that. Oh, I will. Lord, be with this situation. Please fix it. Amen. God says, I'll, I'll fix it in a little bit. But, but let's talk about you and me and Jesus and the cross and sin. Let's talk about you and me and building a relationship. Don't cold call somebody. 
You have a relationship with them. And so what happens is sometimes we allow sin to get in our life, and that sin hinders our prayer. Now, I'm not talking in the point of salvation. I'm talking that it hinders our prayer life sometimes. The last one, we've already mentioned this one, is do you have faith? Now, be careful with faith. Faith has been taken to this extreme that if you have faith, that you can make God do anything. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what the Bible says is, I trust my Lord and Savior enough and I believe that he can move. And that's why I ask in prayer and faith that he would do things. So, why are sometimes prayers not answered? First off, we just never asked. Number two, our motives are impure and God can see through that. Number three, there may be sin in our life that needs to be dealt with. Number four, maybe there's not faith. Number five, do you ever think the reason, the purpose of prayer is for God to change you and not the situation? See, I've seen this a lot in my spiritual walk. I pray and pray over a situation. A situation never changes, but the way I handle the situation changes. That was answered prayer. God says, I'm going to use this situation to fix you, James, not the situation. Lord, there's that person at work I can't stand. I just can't stand him. Lord, move him off my shift. Move him off my line. Move me to a different line. Just get me away from that person. That's my prayer request. God's answer is, no, I'm going to keep that person there because that person is going to mold you into a more loving Christian. So prayer did not change the situation. It prayed the way, changed the way I looked at it. We all have thorns in our life. Maybe they're relationship thorns. Maybe they're finance thorns. Maybe they're health thorns. We pray for that thorn to be removed. God may say, no, I'm keeping that there because when your money's tight, you're going to trust me more and seek me more. But when the money is good, you have a tendency to just be distracted. I'm going to keep that health thorn there because I know when there's a little bit of a thorn in your health, you spend a lot more time with me, a lot more time in prayer, a lot more time in focus. And I'm going to use that as a greater witnessing tool rather than just having the thorn removed. Sometimes the Lord allows the situation to not be changed, to change the way we look at the situation. Now, that's hard to tell somebody. That's hard to tell somebody when their marriage is falling apart, when their finances are falling apart, and their job is falling apart. And I tell them, God will meet your daily needs. He will meet your daily needs. But sometimes He allows those situations to stay there to mold us into a better person. So it's not that God is not answering your prayers. He's just answering it either with a no or a wait. And waiting is hard. But that's still love. That's still God. I tell you, when I look at this teaching on prayer here, I see Jesus setting an example for others to see. Lord, help us to set an example in all that we do and say. I see him basically saying, here's elements to prayer. Have that relationship with me. Have the heavenly mindset. Have the time of praise. Have the time of confession. Have the time of giving burdens over to him. Don't just make your prayers a Santa Claus list to God. But make it a true time of growing. Be persistent, verses 5 through 8. You're not going to annoy and wear God down, but your persistence says, Lord, I trust that you're the only one that can move this situation. Don't get within 800 feet of the mountaintop and give up. Stay focused. And then verses 9 through 13, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Realize that your Heavenly Father will give you your daily needs. Don't let Satan get in there and start playing that mind game of what type of loving God are you praying to that won't even answer your prayer. You pray and nothing happens. You pray and nothing changes. That's all lies from the pit of hell. 
God loves you. He will meet your needs, and sometimes he allows the situation to stay the same to mold us into a better person, a better believer in Christ, and always say and do. Callie and Marv, if you guys want to come forward here for the final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us be individuals of prayer. Lord, help us to be a body of corporately of prayer. That when these prayer lines come through, when the requests are given on Wednesday nights, help us to really stop and say, I care about that situation, Lord, because you care about it. Help us to be people, men and women of prayer. And Lord, we say thank you. We know that prayer does more than we can ever imagine. And we in faith give you these situations, trusting you will move and work in your name. Amen.